0: We all identify as something. And it's interesting, we wrap up a lot of time and expend a lot of energy and effort in those things that identify who we are. And many people will go to great lengths to develop a specific identity. I think of people who spend years and years in school so that they can be identified by the title doctor or MD or JD or whatever it may be. I see other individuals spend time and effort and energy and income in order to get credentials behind their name. I see other individuals work hard at their specific vocation, so much so that their entire identity is wrapped up in that job, in that profession and what they do. Uh, We can't think about Dr. Martin Luther King without thinking about a civil rights pioneer, can we? We can't think about other figures of the past and have seem to have one singular identity as they move throughout their life i want us to talk about this morning who you are though as we move through our lives what are the things that identify us what is your identity in fact the question resides who are you We begin with our story and our title, Wrestling with God, because I want us to go back to the Old Testament. Uh, It seems as if whenever someone uh, starts a new curriculum, they always go to the book of Genesis, and that is a good place to start. So I believe we've been through the first 30 or 40 chapters of the book of Genesis more times than we can count. And so we know the story of Jacob. Most of us are familiar with the goings-on around his life. We're familiar with the things that he does. But I want to start at the very beginning of his life because therein we find the setting for what we're going to discuss this morning. The early life with, of Jacob is riddled with intrigue. In fact, as he comes onto the scene, as he is born, uh, we know his twin brother Esau, they're born together to Rebekah. Uh, but it's told that the elder will serve the younger. And as he is born, brought into this world, he comes out grasping Esau's heel And he is given the name supplanter, Jacob. As we move forward into his life, one of the things that stands out is the fact that he does and is true to his name. We look at the first instance that we see of Jacob and Esau. And Esau comes in from the field. He's hungry. He's been hunting. And he wants some food. I don't know if you have been that hungry, but Esau says that he would give him his birthright... For a bowl of soup. And so Jacob makes him swear on it and he says, Yeah, that's fine, whatever. Uh, You can have the birthright. I just, I'm hungry. We know what the Hebrews writer says about Esau, who for one morsel sold his birthright. And what does he do? He gives that blessing away to Jacob for a bowl of soup. And so Jacob took advantage of that situation in order to exact something out of his brother. Probably thinking Esau, though, later on, would be able to get at least get a blessing from his father Isaac as he's dying. What happens? We know that Jacob enters in before Esau is able to get there. Puts on the woolly clothes so that he feels like Esau in the hair. Deceives his father and is given the birthright blessing. And we've talked about this before. Esau comes in later on. And he's really struggling with what has occurred because now we see Esau in tears that Jacob not only took the birthright but also the blessing from his father, thus making it sure. Now, realizing that uh, Jacob was going to be in trouble for his life, Isaac sends him to his uh, mother's home in Padanaram to look for a wife. It's interesting as Esau is seeing all this unfold and realizes that he's been taken advantage of twice now, he determines that he's going to kill Jacob. So it's no longer safe for Jacob to remain there. And we might look at the animosity between these two brothers as Jacob is maybe, or Esau is maybe over there sitting there sharpening his knife, saying, when dad dies, you're done. And that's the picture that we get. The anger and the ire that is stoked in Esau that drives Jacob Away, And so Jacob re- runs and goes to Padanaram, Aram. And he finds a woman that he wants to marry. Her name is Rachel. And so he tells Laban, I will go work for you for such and such a time so that I can marry Rachel. Well, Jacob has met his match in his uncle, hasn't he? So he goes and he works for Laban for such and such a time And now the time has come that he is to marry Rachel and they're to have the wedding feast and all these great things. It's interesting, the text tells us that in the morning, one of my favorite passages, Behold, Leah, he was duped into marrying the firstborn. And Laban came back and said, well, it's not right that I should marry off my younger daughter before my older daughter gets married. So what happens? He takes... Jacob for another seven years to work for Rachel, putting him to his employ for 14 years to get his wife that he wanted. And now we look at what happens after that, after that 14 year period, Jacob decides to stay there in Padanaram and to build wealth. So Laban says, You can have X amount of sheep and do what you want with them. And if they're mottled, then you can have them. If they're pure, I'll take them. And they divide them up in that way. And so Jacob is very cunning in the way that he breeds the sheep and he's able to basically build his fold. And Laban begins to be jealous of Jacob and the way he has done this. And so they decide that it's time to leave. After 20 years of staying in Syria, Padanaram, Jacob decides that it's time to return home. Now think about this. Jacob has been gone for 20 years. Esau has stayed in Canaan. And now necessity forces Jacob to return home. I want us to talk about this morning, really, Jacob's return. Because there's a lot of things that occur in this setting and in this story that I think are relevant for every child of God as we meet sin, as we meet things in our life from the past, so that we can move forward in our walk with God. You see, Jacob was a supplanter. Because he took from his brother twice in deceit. That was his character and nature. He had a natural proclivity for deception and was willing to connive to get what he wanted. He left Canaan in deceit and he left Esau without a birthright and a blessing. How many of you would want to return to that situation in your family home knowing you were the one that robbed your sibling of their expected livelihood? And now you're forced, compelled almost by necessity, to go and return to that household when you have, the, have done wrong. Genesis 32. Well, we won't get there yet. But Jacob now is coming down. He takes his family. They leave. Rachel steals the panates, the household gods. Laban catches up with them. She gives them back, and then they make a truce there not to go to war with one another anymore. Uh, They basically make a mutual agreement there that they're not going to attack one another uh, and they're not going to uh, be hostile to each other. So they set up this altar there in agreement. Now Jacob is looking toward Canaan as he's coming back and there is a ford that he has to cross. It is the brook Jabbok. And when he crosses into Canaan, he knows he's going to have to deal with the collateral damage that he left behind. So the Bible tells us that knowing this, moving forward, he decides that he's going to send envoys to meet the wrath of his brother. Now it's been told to Esau that Jacob is now traveling south. So Esau knows that he's coming. So Esau takes 400 of his men to go meet his brother. Are you thinking that's going to be a cordial meeting? More than likely not. And so Esau goes up to meet his brother, and as Esau is going to meet his brother, Jacob is sending these envoys. And so the Bible tells us here in Genesis 32, and that's really where we're going to pick up the bulk of our thoughts this morning. But the Bible tells us that he rose up that night and took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons and passed over the four of Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone. So what we see is a picture of Jacob sending everything that he has of value ahead of himself to meet his brother. Now they're crossing this ford, And if you look in your maps in the back of your Bible, what you might find is the brook Jabbok goes and flows west, east to west, down into the Jordan River Valley. Uh, And as you're coming down from the north... You're going to have to cross it to get into the land of Canaan. There is a ford there where you can cross. And he stays behind. And that really is the line of demarcation to when Canaan starts. So he sent everything that he has over in preparation to meet Esau. It's interesting, Jacob in doing this is resorting to his own skill and cunning that he's relied upon his entire life. You think about how crafty he was to get what he wanted. He was brilliant. And now what is he doing here? He's resorting to the same old tricks. We think about Jacob and what God tells him as the prophecy. Surely he knew that that prophecy was there, that the elder would serve the younger. What's interesting about Jacob is that Jacob felt that he had to help God How many of us at times feel like we have to help God accomplish His plans that He works in us rather than waiting on the Lord? And I believe wholeheartedly that the patience that we're to develop is a patience on God to work out those things in our lives that need to be worked out. And so we look here, and now He's coming back. You see, resolution and reconciliation are cathartic ventures, And they'll strengthen the Spirit. We look at Him wanting to come back and resolve these issues. And that's important for what He is determined to do. Romans 12 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul would say, If it be possible, as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. We do have to face the consequences of our previous actions and things that have been done. We might consider Numbers 32 and verse 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. And now... Jacob is having to return and to deal with the uh, difficulties that he put Esau through. Jacob wrestled with God here. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. When he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. What's going on? Why does all of a sudden this angel of the Lord come out of nowhere and decide to wrestle with Jacob? I believe there is a physical reason. Jacob is determined to go into Canaan. He's determined to go in, but by his own methods and his own devices. Jacob has not, in any sense, submitted himself to the will of God in his life. What we see is Jacob always taking the reins and trying to make things happen for himself. Now, God in his providence has allowed him to accomplish those tasks, but not without damage that's been done to relationships and to family members. And so, when we see Jacob wrestling here, he was wrestling with the only person who could bless him in the future. Had he had a blessed existence up to this life, to a degree, he had But what might arise in the thoughts of Jacob? I've gotten myself these things. I'm the one that cheated Esau out of the birthright. I'm the one who deceived my father and went into him. I'm the one who was able to breed the sheep. And now I'm the one who's sending these envoys to Esau to appease his anger so that I can come in. We see this sense of maybe self-elevation here. And now he comes to the point of complete and total humility. Think about coming in to meet a man who was a man of the land, someone who was hard, who was firm, had a reputation of war about him, and he's coming to meet his brother with 400 men. It doesn't appear that it's going to be a cordial meeting. And so Jacob wrestles with the angel here. But see, Jacob had not fully put his trust in God. And that's the problem. So many times we say that we believe in God, we have trust in Him, we have confidence in Him, and then we don't let God work in our lives. We think we have to make the decisions and move forward with them. Jacob had enough trust that God would work things out, but not enough trust to let God do it. We think about what's going on around in our society today with all of this pandemic stuff and everything that's going on. How many of us have thought, well, God will work this out? I know a lot of us have, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. But how many feel like they have to take matters into their own hands? Well, we've got to fix this. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. No, maybe in our own individual choices and the things that we make in this life. You know, we pray with the hope and the expectation that God will work those things out. Now, he headed straight back to Canaan, knowing that he would encounter his brother. And yet he had still not fully humbled himself to God. James 4 and verse 10, the Bible tells us, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. There's got to be a humility within us that ceases to be in control and which allows God to be. That's got to be part of our life. So Jacob had tried it his way up to this point with Esau and it only ended in deception, destroyed the relationship that he had with his brother. The means by which Jacob did this were not sanctioned by God. And God never sanctions wrongdoing Now we move to the next passage here. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. So we see them wrestle and struggle the rest of this night. The Bible tells us that he wrestled... And wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. It was prolonged. And Jacob is clinging to this man and refuses to let go. I don't know how many of you have wrestled or grew up with siblings. I did. I had three older brothers. Wrestling was part of everyday life. And if you didn't learn how to do it well, you did not thrive. Okay? And so you had to learn how to, to overcome your opponent. And one thing I learned early on was that if you could hang on real good, you could at least encumber their movement. And if you could squeeze tight, they couldn't do much with you strapped to them. So you may not have won, but you didn't lose either. It was more like a stalemate or a draw. And what do we see here with Jacob and this angel, or the angel of the Lord, or God here wrestling with him? He is clinging on to this man for dearly. He will not let go. He refuses to let go. There's some, some... Important analogies there, I think, that are important for us. We ought to cling to God with everything that we have. We ought to cling to Him, but we need to let Him work in our lives, too. But why is He clinging on to this man? He says, I will not let you go unless what? Unless you bless me. Hadn't He been blessed by God already up to this point? Hadn't God taken care of him, brought him back to Canaan? Now look at what happens. He's asked the most relevant question that any of us can be asked What is your name? Look at his response. Supplanter Jacob knew who he was, he knew what he had done, and now coming back to deal with it, he's got to face the music. I am convinced. God cannot work with people until they acknowledge who they are. No one will come to Christ if they don't see a need to come to Christ. No one will respond to the invitation of God if they don't see that they need the blood of his Son. And here, Jacob, in order to receive the blessing from God, had to acknowledge who he was What has been your identity your entire life? Supplanter. That was the name. How many of you would want the name for your entire life? Cheat. And you've been called it so often. Now it seems like I ought to fulfill what I'm being called. Cheat. Supplanter. And so he acknowledges this. That question has an overwhelming sense of humbling effect on Jacob. We know his name has changed. First John 1, the Bible tells us, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I want us to understand something. When we're asked the question, what is your name? There ought to be a resounding Christian, child of the Most High, son or daughter of the Most High. And those things that described us in the past no longer define who we are. Paul says we all had our conversation in time past. He says, and such were some of you. In multiple places, 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians chapter 2, talking about the things that we were. But you see, those things are past and we've become children of God. We are not sinners. That is, we do not practice sin. Every one of us who are children of God should strive to leave or flee temptation or sin. And that is our pursuit and our aim. We cannot be identified by those things of the past any longer. And I know so many people who feel guilt and remorse... Because they're still identifying by what they were in their previous life. A cheat, an adulterer, a drunk, a liar, a murderer. And they feel that that is what their identity is wrapped up in. Our identity cannot be wrapped up in sin. Our identity needs to be wrapped up in God, holy. The question asked, who are you? He says, supplanter. look what happens. Well, there we go. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob. But Israel, for as a prince, hast thou power with God and with men, and have prevailed. Look at this that is going on here. Jacob receives a new identity almost. Because now his name is wrapped up in prevailing with God. Christian of Christ. Is not Christ the victor? And are we not wrapped up in that victory that he has accomplished? What does John tell us? Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And if we are in Christ, then we are, as Paul would tell us, more than conquerors through him who loved us. Those things of the past, that sin of the past, cannot and should not and does not define us. And if we still go by the titles of the previous life and the titles that the world likes to put on us, then we'll never receive the blessing of God. But when we acknowledge that we've been forgiven, and we come to God with that humility and that contrition, then God can work with us and we can approach a holy God and have communion with Him. Here's the last thing everyone has a distorted view. Of themselves when the need for God goes unacknowledged. We begin to be too self deprecating because of the things that we've done in our life when we don't acknowledge who God is. How many people are killing themselves day in and day out because they don't see any value or worth to their life, because they've identified in their life all those wrongs and feel that they are no better than them. We see a man who's been pulled up from that. We look at the Apostle Paul. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 7 that there was a young man who stood there as Stephen the first martyr was being stoned and held the coats of those who stoned him. Paul was there from the very beginning of the persecution of the church and he became the leader of it. But when Paul became a Christian he didn't let those things define who he was now. He's a Christian Yes, did he still have pangs of conscience? You bet. Did it bother him? Absolutely. But did he resolve to not be hindered? Yes. Jacob going into the land to meet his brother resolved to not be hindered by the past and to move forward and rectify the wrongs that he saw there. We need to understand... That when we don't have a view toward God, this is where hypocrisy and vain thinking lie. We become vain in ourselves and we think that we are or without need. Jacob, after this, was renamed Israel that has wrestled with God and has prevailed because of what he was able to do in that moment in making things right with God. There will be wounds on us if we wrestle with God. No one gets away unscathed. We can have it our way, but as the Proverbs writer says, the way of the transgressor is hard. There's got to be within us a desire to come back into a right union with God. If you are outside the body of Christ and you feel that the things that you have done have kept you from becoming a Christian, realize and know that God can take anyone from where they are and when they come to Him in humility and a desire to change, He will allow that to occur. When you wash and are washed in the blood of Christ, having your sins remissed, you can wear that new name, Christian, and your identity is wrapped up in Him. I pray that if you're listening this morning and you've not responded to the gospel, that you understand what great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we can be called sons of God. You realize that you can change your name. You no longer have to be identified as those things, those sins that defined what you did. And you can come into a right relationship with God. If you realize that you need the prayers of the congregation this morning and need to make that known, we offer you that opportunity this morning as well. If you have any need, won't you come as we stand together and sing?